Well, good morning. It is my privilege to introduce to you Josh Laxton. Josh will be preaching this morning. Um, he serves as the Associate Director of the Billy Graham Center alongside Ed Stetzer. He has also served, um, I stole this straight from his bio, so he has also served um, helping revitalize churches and serving as a lead pastor over the last 20 years. Um, he and his wife moved here recently from Louisville, Kentucky, and, and we're so thankful to have him. He's also um, done some writing with Lifeway Research and, and also Outreach.com and a few other Christian organizations and publications. And um, He attends our West Chicago campus with his family and kids, and, and we're so thankful to have you, brother, here preaching the Word of God. Would you guys join me in welcoming Josh Laxton? Thanks, Chad. Appreciate it. Well, thank you, Chad, and it really is a joy and an honor to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to John chapter 11. If you don't have a Bible, that is okay, because the passage will be on the screens uh, behind me. It is interesting that the very first message that I get to bring to you at Tri-Village Church is on pain and suffering. Uh, I, maybe that is painful in and of itself, but I know that pain and suffering, it is a very tender subject for many in this room. And in the time that I have this morning, I will dare not say that, hey, I'm going to solve all of your issues with pain and suffering. But I do pray and I hope that what we will talk about this morning will bring some type of comfort to your hearts. Now, as I was getting ready to talk about pain and suffering, my wife, she is a nurse. So I texted her and I said, hey, babe, will you send me a chart that you use, that the hospital uses when you are triaging a patient? And so this is the chart that uh, she sent me right here. So, uh, so what I want us to do this morning at the very beginning is I want us to triage our pain this morning. Now, yesterday I had family come into town, and so we took the train because we live in Wheaton. We took the train to downtown Chicago, and all 10 of us we're walking through downtown Chicago. And my wife wanted to go to the Kinder Chris Mart, the, the German Mart, uh, kind of down there. And uh, that's painful with 10 people. <laughs> painful. Like, and then the lines, like I want, I'm a sweet tooth, like I love sweets and uh, I'm from the South if you couldn't tell, but, and that's why we love our sweet tea anyways. But, but I'm like, I, I want, I want something sweet, but I'm not going to stand in that line. It was very pain. And then to kind of navigate through that. I mean, it was, it was, and then after we get, after we get done, my wife looks at me, she's like, what do you want to do? And I'm like, it's 10 people. I thought you had a plan. And she's like, well, no, you need to come up with a plan. Where are we going to eat? And I'm like, are you serious? And so uh, with 10 people, so I'm on open table looking at, I mean, it's painful, but, but, but in, in a triage sense, that's probably between a zero and a two. All right. Now I, I think about this. Uh, I think about falling down the stairs. I did that this past week and I, and I jammed my finger. Uh, well, that, that still probably hurt a little bit, but that's, but that, that's a two. Um, maybe you're getting older. Like uh, I'm coaching basketball. And I'm coaching eighth graders. And uh, we only had five uh, uh, kids the other night, so we needed one other to kind of do at least three on three. Guess who volunteered? Me. Uh, so I got home. I'm like, I'm, I, I can't move. My, my wife's like, what's, what, what's wrong? I practiced. She said, you did what? I said, yeah, I was practicing. She's like, you, you know you can't do those things anymore. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So... Um, well, so I took some ibuprofen, but you know, so maybe you're getting older, maybe you kid, I, I, I don't know what it is. But again, zero two. But let's get a let's get a little bit more real. Maybe maybe you've gone through a divorce and it was ugly. 
Maybe you're struggling with the disease. Maybe you're struggling with sickness. Maybe you are really looking for a job and you need a job. Maybe the company that you work for, maybe they've, maybe they've talked about laying off some people around the holidays. And those, those things get a little bit more serious. And then, maybe this Thanksgiving, this Christmas, maybe it will be the first Thanksgiving and Christmas that you've spent without your loved one. And I know, I know on the pain scale, it gets, it gets really, really bad. See, I, I don't know where you are this morning on, on, on the pain scale, but here's what I do know, that every single one of us in this room, we deal with pain and we deal with suffering. So Josh, what's a working definition now? Like I said, this is a working definition. This isn't the definition. I was going over it with my wife the other day. She's like, you know pain and suffering is two different things. And I'm like, I know that woman. I know that. And so, uh, and you might see that I referred to my wife as woman. I'm just trying to be biblical. You know, Jesus referred to his mom as woman, at the woman at the well. He's like woman. So I just said a woman. That's, that's it. But, but here's a working definition of woman right here. Or woman. <laughs> a wor- <laughs> See, I got it in my mind. A working definition of pain and suffering the light to severe discomfort we feel when life doesn't go according to our plans dreams intentions and expectation that's a working definition because in our mind we we have we have plans we have dreams we have expectations we we want to see things happen but but when life doesn't go according to our plans when life doesn't go according to our intentions, like I've never met, I've never met a husband and wife at, at their wedding day, and I've done many weddings. I, I've never met they, they, that they would say, hey, we intend to get divorced in about seven years. I mean, I've never seen that. So, so when life doesn't go according to plans, when life doesn't go according to your intentions, you experience pain and even sometimes suffering. Now, Peter Berger, the sociologist, he stated, every culture has provided an explanation of human events that bestows meaning upon the experiences of pain and suffering. In other words, every single human being, every single culture, every single worldview has to wrestle, and they've tried to wrestle with pain and suffering. You have some that would say, you know what? The reason why you experience pain and suffering is because you are so attached to reality. If you could just detach yourself from reality and get connected to your inner being and reach full enlightenment, you wouldn't experience pain and suffering. There are some people that try to explain pain and suffering as this kind of cosmic battle between good and evil like Star Wars and somehow your collateral damage. There are other people that would say, you know what? It's just karma. It's what what has gone on, what you have done in the past, man, is coming back to you. There are some that would just say it's just freak. It's just a freak nature that you would experience pain and suffering. There's no rhyme or reason, and so you just need to deal with it. But we, but we believe that the Bible teaches something completely different than those things when it comes to pain and suffering, how we understand it, and then even how we will deal with it. And so here's the main point that we're going to look at this morning. I'm going to put it up on the screen. Sufferers have a host of questions. The Savior has honest what? Answers. Now, the reason why I say a host of questions is because when we deal with pain and suffering, there is or there are a host of questions racing through our mind. Now, the reason why I say honest answers is because you might not like the answer, but they're honest. 
You, you might not like what you hear. But it's honest. And so with that in mind, will you stand with me as we read John chapter 11? And what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to read the very end of this story. And then we're going to go back and kind of work our way from the beginning. Verse 38 of John chapter 11. Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb. Well, what tomb did he come to? He came to Lazarus's tomb. He was dead. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, Jesus said. But the Lord said to, but, but Lord, said Martha, this sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he's been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And let's pray. Father, I pray that as we unpack this narrative here, that you would put peace and comfort in our heart. We thank you that your word is so powerful, it's omnipotent, it's all-powerful, that through your word you spoke the world into existence, and through your word you are making us into new creatures, into the image of our King, King Jesus. May you speak to us, may we leave different than when we came here this morning, for it's in your name we pray, King Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. So a host of questions. There's three questions that we will see in John chapter 11, and there are three responses that we will see. So question number one, I'm in need. Can you help? So when you experience pain and suffering, you might ask this question, I'm in need. Can you help? Well, so we see at the very beginning of John chapter 11, Uh, In verse 3, and I'll put it up here on the screen. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, Martha and Mary and Lazarus, they were brothers and sisters. And they were good friends of Jesus. And so Lazarus, he gets really, really sick. We don't know what kind of disease or sickness that he had. But, but Martha and Mary, they're like, let's text message Jesus that, that Lazarus is sick. So they send a text message to Jesus. Jesus gets the message that Lazarus is sick. Now notice that there's not really a question. The question is just implied. Hey, Jesus, we know you can do something for our brother who is sick. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been there where some need has come up and I'm like, can you help. Like, God, I have a 13, 11, and an 8-year-old. Can you help? Like, the 8th the eighth grader, like, I, I, there, one moment, angelic. The next moment, demonic. And I'm like, can you help? 
It's the hormones, I guess. I don't know what it is. But, but maybe in your own life, you're, you're looking at your, your situation, your environment, you're like, God, can you help alleviate the financial woes? God, can you help my child? My child is struggling. Maybe they're struggling educationally. Maybe they are struggling physically. God, my marriage, can you heal my marriage? We, we have conflict. We have tension. We are in need. Can you help? I have cancer. Can you help? I need a job. Can you help? Can you provide Jesus? So we've, we've been there. We've been in need, and we've asked this question to God, and maybe you're checking out Jesus or this church thing, and maybe you've even kind of prayed, God, if you're real, can you help? Now, here's Jesus' response. This is just absolutely amazing. So we'll put it up on the screen. Jesus' response is this. I will help in my own timing, in my own way, and purposefully for the glory of God. Now, this kind of reminds me of what kind of happens in, in my marriage. Uh, we've been married for 16 years, and there's times where Joni will say, can you help with the laundry? Can you help with the dishes? And I'll respond, and I'll go, yeah, just like I did this past week. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll fold the laundry tomorrow. And she like looks at me like I got two heads. Like, tomorrow? Well, I'll get there tomorrow. It is 8.30 right now. I got a few little things that I got to do. I promise you I will get to the laundry tomorrow. And, and, and what has happened, and it didn't really happen this week, but I've, I've, I've had it happen to men. Maybe you can attest to this. Your wife would ask, can you help? And you're like, sure, in my own timing. And then also you're thinking this in my own way because I don't fold clothes like my wife. And she knows that. I don't put up dishes like my wife. And she knows that. And there have been times where I've done the dishes, I've done laundry, and she'll come, uh, you didn't do it right. And I'm like, what do you mean I didn't do it right? I did it in my own way and my own time. Well, so that's Jesus because uh, look at what we see in verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was. How many more days? Like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, we just sent word, but yet you stay two more days. See, what we really do learn is that Jesus, he can help, but in his own timing, in his own way, and did you catch for the purpose of? For the purpose of God's glory. See, I want us to realize this morning, this is the honest answer, right? That Jesus isn't our genie in the bottle, but that he is the king of glory. Like, like, like when you find Jesus, or let's put it this way, when Jesus finds you, it's not like he is coming to you and saying, hey, I, I, I'm like this genie in the bottle. All you got to do is rub me the right way and poof, I'll come and I'll answer any of your wishes. That's not Jesus. That is not biblical. But he is the king of glory who can help in his own timing, in his own way for the purpose of his glory. Now, there's some things that we learn here. As you can tell, I get a little excited, just a little but there's some things that we learn about pain and suffering. Just because God doesn't show up when we want and how we want doesn't mean that he's not listening. See, Jesus got the message. So in your room, in your car, when you're crying out for help, he gets the message. 
He hears you. He's listening. Here's another truth that we learned. Experiencing pain and suffering doesn't mean that God doesn't love us. We see that Jesus loved Martha and Mary very much. He loved Lazarus very much. He loves you very much. Just because you go through pain and suffering doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. And then, just because we experience pain and suffering doesn't mean that God isn't in control. Like, he's very much in control of the situation. He's got got it down. He, he, He has it. So just because you experience something that you don't want to experience, just because your dreams are shattered, just because your marriage didn't go the way, just because you are dealing with hell, it doesn't mean that God isn't in control. So the truth is, God is ultimately working out a greater plan, which leads me to this idea that there is purpose in our pain. You say, Josh, you mean there's purpose? Oh yeah, there's, there's a lot of purpose packed into our pain and our suffering. Well, what possibly could that be? I'm so glad that you asked that question. First of all, pain presents problems. Pain presents problems. Now, I think one of the problems that we have today in our culture is that we tend to view pain and suffering from a man-centered view as if we don't deserve it. But when it comes to what the Bible teaches is that pain and suffering is what we deserve. Now, in Genesis 1, God created the world, and it was an incredible world. He creates Adam and Eve as these perfect beings. He breathes life into Adam, and he becomes this living being. He gives this incredible garden with just flourishing all around the garden and gives him complete freedom, says you can have from any tree except this one tree, but the day that you eat from this tree, you shall surely die. Well, surely to goodness, guess what happened? Even Adam ate from that tree and death, pain, and suffering entered the world. And see, when we experience pain and suffering today, it presents these problems that we do realize that something is wrong with our lives, something is wrong with our world, and we have to try to figure out what these problems are pointing to. And here's what pain and suffering ultimately really points to, is that something is wrong with the human race. Something is wrong with the world as we know it, because we believe innately that the world should not be this way. And so the problem of pain actually presents this larger problem for the human race. So there's this purpose that draws us to answer these deep questions. But also pain prompts feelings of powerlessness. Like we understand that we are not in control. That's one of the things that pain and suffering teach us. That what we really want to be in control of, we're not in control. So in some sense, we're now left, we got this problem on our hand. We are powerless to face this problem. Is there something out there? Is there something greater and bigger that can help us with this problem? Which leads to a third purpose. Pain can be a pathway to salvation. Is that as you start wrestling with all of these Questions as you start really trying to find these deep answers to life, you will find that God is promising a redemption, which we'll get to that. I don't want to give too much away right now. But then, fourth, pain oh, don't miss this pain can be someone else's provision. Your pain 
can be someone else's provision. Well, we see this in Genesis 50 with Joseph. He was sold into slavery by the hand of his brothers. And for 13 years, he experienced hell on earth. But here's what he says at the very end. Am I not in the place of God? You, my brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You might not be fully in an understanding position when it comes to your pain and suffering right now. But here's what I will say. Is that God can use your pain and God can use your provision. Or God can use your suffering for someone else's provision. That you can speak into someone else's pain. You can speak into someone else's suffering. So question one. I'm in need. Can you help? He can. In his own timing, in his own way, for his own purposes. Question number two is this. I'm mad. Where are you? I'm mad. Where are you? Now, we see this in verse 20. So when Martha... When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Now, if you know anything about Martha and Mary, they're actually found in another passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 10. And the reason why I can always remember the difference between Martha and Mary is that when I think of Martha, I think of Martha Stewart. So Martha was in the kitchen. She was cooking. She was baking. Mary's in the living room hanging out with Jesus. They're playing Scrabble. Jesus is doing, you know, theological words and Scrabble. And then he, would t- he didn't do Scrabble. But he's in there talking to Mary, talking theology, talking about life with her. Mary's just eating it up. Now, Martha, she's the older sister. She's in there. She just, she's, over the, you know, she's just tirelessly working over the stove, and she's cooking, and she's, she's whipping up dessert because that's what I just think she was doing. She's just whipping up a dessert. And she gets a little flustered that Mary, the younger sister, is in there hanging out with Jesus, and she's in the kitchen working. And so she's like, Jesus, are you going to make Mary come in here and help me? And, you know, and Jesus is like, uh, no. Uh, she has chosen the better thing. She's hanging out with me. So, so we get this kind of dynamic in Luke chapter 10 of who Martha is and who Mary is as well. Their personalities are completely different. Martha is, if you're familiar with the Enneagram, she's probably a three like me. She's an achiever. She's in there. She's just a whipping it up, and she's just trying to fix it a perfect meal. Mary, she's probably a nine. She's a peacemaker. She just loves hanging out. Or maybe she's a seven. She's an enthusiast. She just wants to be where the action is, and wherever Jesus was, that's where the action was. All right. Or, Mary, you know, Martha might be this like type A personality where she's just a go-getter. Well, so you have to kind of look into that just a little bit because Martha is going to run out. The older one is going to run out to Jesus before he even gets to the house. Well, we don't necessarily see her crying. Now, she's grieving in her own way. Maybe she's in, maybe she's in the stage of grief as, as, as anger. And she's just really wanting to know where Jesus has been. Because we all grieve in different ways. Now notice that, uh, and we'll get to it in a second, but, 
But notice Jesus never corrects either Martha or Mary for how they grieve. But they're definitely grieving. In C.S. Lewis's book, A Grief Observed, it was written after the loss of his wife. And he lost his wife to cancer. Listen to these words. He says, where is God? This is, this is one of the most disquieting symptoms. When you are happy, so happy that you have no sense of needing him, so happy that you are tempted to feel his claims upon you as an interpret, you know, interpretation, if you remember yourself and turn to him with gratitude and praise, you will be, or so it feels, welcomed with open arms. But go to him when your need is desperate when all other help is vain and what do you find a door slammed in your face and a sound of bolting and double bolting on the inside after that silence you may as well turn away because the longer you wait the more emphatic the silence becomes there are no lights in the windows it might as well be an empty house why is God so present a commander in our time of prosperity and so very absent a help in time of trouble? This is C.S. Lewis. He's wrestling with God. Where are you? Where were you? Paul Tripp expresses this. I'll put it up on the screen. Paul Tripp says the central lie of Satan to all God's suffering children comes in the form of a question, where is your God now? And like I said, it is okay to ask God where he is. It's okay to say, Jesus, where are you? I don't feel you. I don't sense you. didn't show up. It's okay. But you also need to be okay when he responds with truth. Because that's what he's actually going to do. Here's his response. I am your hope, for I am the one who will make all things new. So Jesus, he's going to tell Martha after he says, well, you will see Lazarus again. And Martha goes, see, I know that I will see Lazarus again when he, when he is resurrected. I know that we'll see each other again. But then Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Now, this is so interesting. Because the Jews believed in a resurrection. No, no other religion believed in a resurrection. But the Jews believed that there would be this future event where people would be giving new bodies. But even deeper than that, as one scholar noted, resurrection spoke of God's determination to bring about a new exodus, the real return from exile, the great liberation from oppression and slavery, the liberation for which Israel longed for. In other words, resurrection meant a time in the future when God would, would bring his people to the ultimate promised land he would deliver them from the ultimate oppression resurrection meant a time in the future when God would right all the wrongs when he would overthrow all governments resurrection spoke of a future time when when God would make everything right when he would fully eliminate death 
And so Jesus tells Martha that he is that. He is that reality. He is that future hope that he is her present reality right there, right then. That he is the reverse of curse, that he will make all things right, that he will make all things new, that he will destroy the sting of death, that he will turn the world right side up, that he is the Frodo to come destroy the ring of darkness and death. He is the resurrection. But then did you catch it? He's also the life. True life is only found in Jesus. That's why in the Gospel of John you will see that Jesus refers to himself as the bread of life, that he is the true vine, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. So when Jesus tells Martha, I am the resurrection and the life, here's what he is telling Martha. He is speaking truth into her and over her that he is her future hope and her present reality all in one. That's why I love uh, Mandisa's song, He is with you. You ever heard of that song? He is with you when your faith is dead and you cannot even get out of bed. Or your husband doesn't kiss you anymore. He is with you when your baby's gone and your house is still and your heart's a stone crying, God, what did you do that for? He is with you. He is with you in the conference room when the world is coming down on you and your wife and kids don't know you anymore. He is with you in the ICU when the doctors don't know what to do and it scares you to the core. He is with you. He is with you when your kids are grown, when there's too much space and you feel alone and you're worried if you got it right or wrong. Yes, He is with you when you've given up on ever finding your true love. Someone who feels like home, He is with you. See, what Jesus told Martha that day when she asked God, uh, where, where were you? I'm with you. With you. And I'm in the process of making all things new. I'm with you. And I'm in the process of making all things new. Now, he didn't alleviate her pain and suffering at that moment. But what he did do is he spoke truth into her heart. So I'm in need. Can you help? I'm mad. Where were you? Question number three is this. I'm hurt. Do you care? I'm hurt. Do you care? So we see in verse 32 after Martha has ran back to the house, that's one of the things I find interesting is after Jesus says what he does, I'm the resurrection and the life, and do you believe this? She's like, I do believe. I believe that you are the son of God. She goes back to Mary. And so now Mary comes out of the house and she comes to the place where Jesus was and saw him, and she fell at his feet now, some people would say, well, I think she fell at her feet in worship. And I think that is very much what she could be doing. 
But there might be something else to her grieving that she has been sobbing and weeping where she is completely out of energy and she falls at his feet and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I think she is sobbing, weeping, uncontrollable. It is important. And then can I just say this on a side note? Once again, that Jesus never corrects these women and how they're grieving. It is important to grieve. It is important to feel the pain. It is important to feel the loss. And yes, if you need to ask questions, ask questions. Because Jesus doesn't tell them to suck it up. Jesus doesn't tell them, you just need to go ahead and move on. Jesus is there. So I want you to understand, like years ago, my wife lost her sister to a drunk driver on Christmas Day. And for for months, I was telling her, hey, and again, I was a pastor, but I was a I was a bonehead, like with a capital B, bonehead. I'm like, oh, you just need to you, you just need to trust Jesus more. No, you need to feel the weight of loss. You need to feel it. You need to identify what it is that you're grieving. You don't need to suppress the pain. You don't need to try to busy yourself so that you you numb yourself. You don't need to try to fill yourself with substances. You, You need to grieve. You need to grieve. Mary is weeping. She's sobbing. And she's saying, do you care? And here's what Jesus, here's his response. I feel your pain. I grieve with you in your pain. And I will redeem your pain. Now this is, this is so amazing what Jesus does. Did you see it? When Jesus saw her weeping. This is in the text. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, again, he sees you. He sympathizes with you. He sees your tears. But then, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. And then the very shortest verse in all of Scripture, Jesus wept. So not only does he sympathize with you, not only does he see you, he enters into your pain and he feels you. He's deeply moved. He's agitated. And what is he agitated by? What is he deeply troubled by? He's deeply troubled, not by their grief, but by death. So he feels your pain. He weeps with you. Um, But here's what makes Jesus distinct from all other gods and messiahs and Christ. Not only does he see you, not only does he empathize with you, he's going to redeem you. He's going to redeem your pain. See, verse 38, it says, Then Jesus deeply moved again. Now, scholars, they will point out that that this word deeply moved. The Greek word there is given this image of an animal angry and snorting. 
Like when, when I think about it, I do think of Rocky, you know, the, the, the boxer, uh, the Rocky movies. Like whenever Rocky was, I mean, you could just see it in his eyes, the eye of the tiger, you know, and, uh, and you're like, when he gets the eye of the tiger, you just better watch out. He's going to pull all Rocky. Jesus, what is he doing? He's about to go all Rocky on death. He's about to knock death out. So in verse 41, we see this. So they took away the stone. After he prayed, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man, he came out with his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Now I want you to, again, I want us to insert ourselves into Martha and Mary's life. What do you think at that point? Your brother was dead. For four days he had been in this tomb. You've even said there is a stinky odor. Please do not roll away that stone. But Jesus makes them roll away that stone and then he calls Lazarus out. See, at that moment, your mourning was turned into dancing. Your sadness into gladness. Your hurt into happiness. Your pain into pleasure. Your gloom into grandeur. Your darkness into light. Your sorrow into joy. Your silence into singing. Your grief into glory. See, Jesus can redeem it. He can redeem your pain. Now, but do not miss this. Because this is so important. There are seven signs in the Gospel of John that point to a deeper reality that Jesus had come to do. This sign, raising Lazarus from the dead, was the seventh sign that Jesus performed. And it points to this deeper truth, this deeper reality. That he is the resurrection and the life. Now, when Lazarus was raised from the dead, that wasn't Lazarus's resurrection. Why? Because he died again. I don't think Lazarus is roaming planet Earth and he has a Twitter account. I don't, maybe he does. I, I don't know. But he died again. They had to experience death again. So this wasn't the resurrection for Lazarus. What it did, it pointed to a future point when Jesus would raise all of the dead who had followed him to life. Now, why could Jesus call Lazarus out of the dead? And why can Jesus declare that he is the resurrection and the life? Well, this is the catalytic moment where the Pharisees, they see who Jesus is. They see Jesus' power and they gather together and like, if we don't do something about this man, everyone will follow him. Well, of course everyone will follow him. If he continues to go around healing the lame, healing the blind and raising the dead to life, who wouldn't want to follow that man? So they're like, we've got to do something about it. So verse 53, later on, here's what it says. So from that day on, they plotted to take his life. See, don't don't miss this. In calling Lazarus out of the grave, Jesus knew that he would be going into the grave.
In dissolving Lazarus' death certificate, Jesus was signing his. See, you really want to know how Jesus can redeem your pain? Is that a short time after raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus would find himself on a cross, dying for the sin of of the world. What had caused pain, what had caused suffering since Adam and Eve fell, Jesus was on the cross dying for our sin. And he would die a criminal, a sinner's death, and he would be put in a tomb. But three days later, guess what happened? Jesus rose from the dead, resurrected body, his resurrected body. And he is the first fruit of resurrection. That when when they saw Jesus, they saw the very first fruits of what resurrection looks like. And so 2,000 years later, we as the people of God, as the church of God, who believe that Jesus is the king of glory, that he is the resurrection and life, we live into that hope. We press into that hope, knowing that there will be one day where he will fully redeem our pain. He will fully redeem us from suffering. So here's three takeaways and then I'm done. Number one, Jesus can help our pain and suffering. He can help. 2 Corinthians 4, 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Jesus can help in our pain and suffering. Number two, Jesus is present in our pain and suffering. He's present. So on Matthew 5, Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. The Bible tells us in Psalm 34, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. And then Jesus, He will redeem our pain and suffering. This is what I love about Revelation 21. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things have passed away. He's there. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know where on the pain scale you are. Here's what I do know, is that while we might have a host of questions, our King, our Savior, has honest answers. Let's pray. Father, what a, what a heavy topic. But even in this weighty subject that actually presents physical discomfort. Will you bring us calm? Will you bring us peace as you speak truth over and into our lives? Thank you, Jesus, for caring. Thank you, Jesus, for ultimately doing something that will redeem
this fallen and broken world in our lives. Thank you.